Christmas is coming, and already we know it will be different this year. That's the way it's been with this pandemic. This Christmas, some things we always do might have to wait till next year. On the Sundays of Advent, the four Sundays before Christmas, the pastors of Second Presbyterian Church are going to preach a sermon series called What Cannot Wait. Our sermons will be on those gifts of grace that are celebrated with Jesus' birth, which we cannot do without. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For those of you who follow the order of the bulletin, I want to give you a warning that I will be reading our two scripture passages, but they are actually placed in the body of my sermon, so they won't be exactly back to back, but they will come. This year, I decorated early for Christmas. We just needed a little something special. I think everyone else on our street got the same memo. Lincoln Avenue has more lights than usual, more candles in the windows, more wreaths, more tacky lawn art, and I love it. It's amazing what a few extra strands of light can bring to a yard or a six-foot-tall blow-up dinosaur with Christmas presents down its back. We all need some extra cheer this year. It's been hard. So small things like peppermint lattes and Hallmark Christmas movies in November have sprinkled bits of joy in the desert. My husband Chris and I are fortunate, really. While we decided to forego our Christmas travels and stay home for the holiday, watching Christmas unfold through the lens of our two-and-a-half-year-old has been nothing short of joy. She doesn't know about the parties that didn't get scheduled, the dinners with friends that won't happen, or the family traditions that we have to adapt. To her, Christmas with the three of us is a party. Church pageants have always happened via YouTube, and holiday-themed face masks are just a regular fashion accessory. So when I approached today's texts, I tried to read them with the faith of a child, with the hope that such joy may not be found only in some far-off future, but in the here and now, because joy cannot wait. Please receive this reading from Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful of heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness 
and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the Holy Way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. They will rejoice. This is the first word, really, of Isaiah's vision in chapter 35. And when put into context, It is completely out of place. Isaiah speaks without addressing anyone by name, without any particularity of time. And this vision comes on the heels of a poem just one chapter before it, filled with destruction. In Isaiah 34, we read that the streams of Eden shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch, thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. For millennia, scholars have understood the first part of Isaiah to have come from years of exile. This section of the Old Testament book is full of poems and prophecies from a mournful and painful place. Some say this hopeful promise in Isaiah 35 actually belongs later in the book, in the chapters originating after the exile. To them, Isaiah 35 comes too early. So who moved it? How did it get here? Some things even the best scholars cannot explain. So here it is, in Isaiah 35, a word of hope that could not wait till it might make more sense. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Here in the wilderness, Isaiah dares to proclaim this dry earth will be given glory and splendor. This dry earth will live again. Wilderness has many meanings for God's people. It is a place of flight and freedom. It is populated by dangerous animals. Water is scarce and crops do not grow. It can be deadly. It is wide, and it is easy to get lost. But wilderness is where God's people learned to trust. In wilderness, God carried them, fed them, and quenched their thirst. In wilderness, God found God's people, guarded and cared for them, and lifted them up. Isaiah dares to speak a word out of place. A word that refused to wait until things improved. As Walter Brueggemann reminds us, Israel's doxologies are characteristically against the data. We see and hear the data every night on the news, 
every morning on our homepage and on the front page. Add to that the data of our own personal lives, waiting for the test result to return, mourning the death of a loved one, wondering if we'll make it through the next round of pay cuts and layoffs. We know the data too well, and we long for a word out of place. Generations after Isaiah, a lowly peasant girl will boldly sing a word of joy, completely out of place. Hear these words from Luke 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Again, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We guesstimate that Mary was about 14 years old when she gave birth to baby Jesus. Oh, sweet girl. The Gospels tell us little about her. Even today, the Church Universal can't seem to make up its mind about her. Some traditions pray to her. Others ignore her on principle. Others call her Theotokos, God-bearer. Others still champion her as a model of holy femininity, ever sinless, ever virgin, ever mother. Hymns and carols wonder about her and pose the question whether she had any idea what was in store. And then this young, young woman opens her mouth in Luke 1, verse 46, and we see as unlikely as it may be, God has opened up God's vision to her. She knows, and like a prophet, she sees clearly, and she sings. Mary's song balances fear with courage, doubt with faith, vulnerability with strength. Hers is not just some pretty tune. It is a song of praise, and it is also a song of testimony. She testifies to the subversive nature of a God whose kingdom upends expectations of our world. It is a powerful song. And at first glance, it feels completely out of place. But if scripture has taught us anything, the good news is surprising, and it usually comes from surprising places. Israel has been waiting through exiles and wildernesses, through victories and defeats. And here, this young girl sees a truth many can still not proclaim. A pregnancy that under any other circumstance might have brought shame, brings joy and honor. What once was up is down. What once was down is up. Mary uses her voice to share the news that God is coming in new and life-changing ways and that the world will never be the same again. 
She sings of her confidence in the Lord's promise to upend the powers that be, reverse the fortunes of an unjust world, and lift up all those who have been oppressed. A young girl with no voice and no rights in a Roman-occupied state, Mary's song is characteristically against the data. Like Isaiah long before her, she speaks a bold word out of place. Who will speak a word out of place for us? In Advent, we wait for Jesus to come. We know, of course, Jesus has already come, but we remember he will come again. We remember the generations of God's people who prayed for a Messiah, a Savior. We remember the promise God kept. We remember the truth that God became one with us. God became one of us. Something about singing carols and stringing Christmas lights in the middle of a worsening pandemic seem out of place. Something about Christmas cards with perfectly coiffed children and proclamation of good cheer seem out of place. Something about finding joy in this isolated and isolating season seems out of place. But believe it or not, it is exactly the kind of thing the prophets and the gospels proclaim. It is exactly the word we need to hear. The good news is still ours. It is our place as a people of faith to shine that light in the darkness, especially the tacky Christmas ones, to send out good notes of good cheer, to proclaim the promise that the truth is ours, the good news that one day the nurse and the doctor will walk into the hospital with confidence and joy. One day, the teacher and the student will meet face to face and hug one another. That one day, the depressed and the lonely shall sit at table and laugh and share stories long into the night. That one day, the fearful and the anxious shall go out into crowds and dance in the streets. That one day, the disappointed and the exhausted shall make new plans and awake each morning refreshed. That one day, the sick and the aged shall embrace children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and sing the hymns of our ancestors unmasked. A word of joy may seem out of place this year, but it is exactly the word a people of faith are commanded to proclaim. For ours is the joy of Isaiah and the exile. Ours is the joy of Mary in a world that gives her no voice. Ours is the joy of the faithful through all generations who are holding us in these days and reminding us that we are not alone. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. There in the place that once was wilderness, once a place of wandering, will be raised a road. Rejoicing and gladness will meet God's people and sorrow and sighing will be no more. Joy surprises us when we forge paths in the wilderness. Joy multiplies when we continue the good work to level oppression and justice and suffering so that all flesh might see God together. 
whatever your desert feels like right now, have faith that this place is not the end of the journey. Very soon, the one you're waiting for this Advent will come. So while we wait, we work, we light a pink candle, and we rejoice. For God comes. God is here. The gift of joy cannot wait a moment longer. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.